Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's now time for our interview specials. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of football. Sit back and listen up. It's time for the main event with the Phoenix Five and a 90s football icon. On this week's show, we have Mr. Rule Fox. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back. And enjoy the show. You can't want to answer the kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? On this week's Phoenix Five, we have a very special guest joining us, a superstar of the 90s football and one of the great players to make it into an underrated 11. Flick on Owen. Has equalized. It's Fox again. 2 2. Fox for the shot. Oh, and Fox scores. Well, that was a good finish from Karine. Fox! Goalkeeper's heroics in vain. He had played 395 games and scored 49 goals. He played with some legends of the game, including Andrew Cole, Ginola, Beardsley, Sheringham, and Sutton. He made his senior debut for Norwich City during the 86-87 season, later moving on to the Great Entertainers in 94, and then signed by Jerry Francis at Spurs in 95. Finally ending his career at West Bromwich Albion. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you, Mr. Rule Fox. Hi, Rule. How are you today? Not too bad. I hope you're well. Yeah, good. Thank you again for coming on the show, mate. Really appreciate the, the help and no the support problem. you've given. Just going to go over a few questions. Everyone's got a few uh, questions. Want to ask. I'm going to start off for this week with uh, uh, Miller. You had a question for Rule. Let, let's get started with you. Hi, Rule. Um, How you doing? I'm going to go back to the beginning where it all started for you, really. And mm. going back to the youth systems, what's your views on the changes from the YTS to the academy? And do you think it's good for the game? And are the youth getting the right foundations? I think... Technically wise and the education they're getting is very good. But what what I, what I do see is that the the chances you get of getting into a first set are, are quite rare. I mean, the set when I had it, I'm probably biased, but I think a lot of people in my ear would agree. Um, it was it was a better setup because it was a case where you learn the ropes, you learn to be a grown up, you were integrated in, into the, into your youths, and there from there you served your apprenticeship, which meant you probably 
done a bit of college work during the week. You clean boots. You know, you've done all the dirty work after you've done your training. So it, it kind of bedded you well. So you kind of integrate with, with your other youth players and also with, with the senior players. And I think maybe, as we all know, money's become such a big thing now. And with money, I, what what happens with a um, lot of these players? I'm not saying all of the players, but there's there's no drive. You know, there's 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 nothing to look forward to because you know everyone knows that playing football you you're going to earn a lot of money. But uh, if there's no targets for you as as a young player, you, and you know you're not even getting in the first team, but you, you're you're financially comfortable. You know, there's nothing there to drive you on. So I'm not saying that it's for all players, but I think you get disheartened if you're not getting to a first team. you got to remember, if you're at a first team now with the amount of pressure there is at clubs, mm. you know, they could go buy a £20 million player or £30 million player in your position. So the chances you get in the first team, unless you've got a manager who believes in you, it's very difficult in, in, in today's game. Yeah, perfect. Appreciate that. Uh, we spoke about it before the money in football has changed massively in terms of the youth setup and uh, paying your dues, so to speak. As you said, you know the idea was you, you started at a, a club at 13, 14, You, you saw the first yeah. reserves, then you got into like the academy or, or the, what is now the academy, which is the youth setup, and then you clean boots. You know, you get the the bullying culture. Obviously, could have gone out of hand with some yeah. clubs, but your experience and what I've looked in is, is you have quite a good experience at your YTS system. Is that, is that fair in saying? I, I mean, I mean. I went through the same thing. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I would say got bullied. I mean, I, I got, I was the only black player in my team. So I got a, a little bit of stick here and there, racially abused here and there. But there, we had quite a good setup. So there were people to speak to. And I also had a lot of, I had one um, friend who, who lived locally to me. He was one who helped me get the trial. So I could, he was playing in the first team there, a the guy called Louis Donoua. So I could always go to him if I felt that, you know, I was being ill-treated by other members of the youth team or anything. But I I could look after myself, even though I was small. I had a bit of a big mouth on me. So I, I wasn't that really afraid of stuff like that. But it, it, it was prevalent then, you know, there was a lot of that going on. But uh, there weren't so much bullying from the, I would say, from the first team and stuff like that, you know. Um, it was just part of growing up. You you know, you couldn't be cheap. You couldn't walk into the first team's change rooms and just bowl in there and start having a conversation. You know, you had to knock on the door, you know, then they'll let you in. And maybe they would, you know, bung you in the shower some days or throw you in. A, but that was that that was just all banter. You know, if you came out of there and, and then and they've been slapping you about or something, you come out there like you've just won won the lottery. You say, yeah, yeah, I've just been slapped about. It was great. They threw me <laughs> in the shower. It was brilliant. You know, some away trips, I can remember. I was, you know, away games, even when I was quite fortunate. I mean, I, my progression w- went quite quickly. So by about 17, I was travelling with the first team just for experience, you know. And even with then, they would be pulling stunts on me and, you know, things like um, away games. They kept, you know, encouraging me to have a beer because I never drunk. So I'll be getting drunk, you know, in the back of the coach. And then all of a sudden, I'll be going to the toilet. And I, got, I remember one stage, I got knocked in the toilet from Man City all the way back to Norwich. <laughs> they locked me in the toilet. So all these kind of things was, was just part. It's just part and parcel of it, you know. So there, there, there was there was good times, but obviously there was there was some difficult times. But you know, it it, it moved on quite quickly once I got in the first team. What part of the change from YCS to academy? Do you think should still be in for the youth today? I think I think every I think everything that that I've grown up with. I mean, you, you could speak to any any player from my era, 
you know, you could speak to anyone. I, I, I guarantee 99% of them we said, what would you change about the youth set up in, in academies? And they would probably say they'd love to take them back to our era when it was YTS because you had to work. You know, that, you know there, there was a carrot put in, put in front of you. I said, well, if you do this, you'll get this. If you know, if you play well for the youth team, you get your progression into the reserves. If you play good for reserves, you'll you'll travel with the first team as experience. You know, there's not a lot of managers do that. I might be for the pressure of that, but you look at the academies now. I mean, I I, I get asked so many times off people about, oh, I've got a young boy. You know, he's scoring all these goals. He's only 14. Um, you know, they're asking to sign him. And the first thing I'll say to which they're very surprised, I'll say to them, well, just let him enjoy his football. Because the, the percentage of kids now who get released before they even leave school, and it's devastating for them. We talk about mental health for kids and all that. You know, it's, it's probably everyone's dream. You live through you, you live through your son sometimes if you haven't played at that level. So when you take them to, like, I'm, I'm local from Ipswich, so I get a lot of people come through for advice and say, oh, my son's in this academy. But then I hear the same stories that I'd say a very, very low percentage of them players who start for maybe under nines, you won't hear from them again getting into the youth setup or anything. It'd be a very small amount. And sometimes that they might miss out because they haven't matured enough. They might have the ability, but the coaching isn't there. It's almost like you've got to tick certain boxes in these academies. Now you've got to be a certain height. You got you got me a run so far, you know. You, you you've got a way a, a certain way, and there's a lot of pressure on these things. But I think a lot of these youth academies, as well, as use that as a financial game. It's not nicer here, but I feel there's a lot of them you're, you're endorsing with their kits. Some of these academies make you actually drive your drive your your children up to away games once you get to that higher level. So you're, you're forking out all these finances, and then they get to 15, and they've been told. So all the years, six years they've been in the academy, they all, and they've been telling them every year, yep, you're doing well, you're doing well. All of a sudden, that 16, it's like, sorry, um, we don't think he's good enough. But there's no, uh, what could I say? There's no afterthought about saying, well, hold on a minute. We're letting this lad go, but he must be good enough to play at a lower level or something. There should be a link between these clubs to say, well, if you can't play for a Man United, there might be a Brentwood or someone else or a lower club where they've probably got a little bit more time to give him that education, you know, give him that patience that he needs. Mm. Anything else, Miller? Are you happy with that? Yeah, answered everything. And pretty much the same views from me. I think that's missing in today's game is the foundation that the youth system and the YTS, cleaning boots, changing rooms, the respect showing the first team, I think that's missing. And it's holding back certain players, not all players, not all the, the young players' talent that's coming through. I think it's holding a lot of them back because they've not got the right attitude, drive and respect for their peers. Yeah, but also, also I, I agree with you there because I think what happens, happens a lot of players, I mean, the days of, um, like we're saying about um, players who were probably what we call raw players. Like I was just playing for my Sunday league team when I got spotted. And it was easier for us then. I mean, we can remember every six-week line, we were allowed to write off the football clubs. And the majority of the time, the football club would invite you for a trial. And you didn't have to have any specific um, experience or anything. You think of the players like Ian Wrights, who started late, who was picked up quite late. He was playing for his local team, Les Ferdinand. There was a lot of players from my era who didn't go for any academies or something. They were just raw talent. But what 
what helped them is they had a manager who believed in them and put the work in with them. Where like you, like I agree with you, the academies now, it's almost like as soon as they're there, they think they've made it, and they've got they've been put into the head. You know, got all the kits, got all the lovely stuff. Some some of these parents are financially well off because they think they're such a good talent that what they'll do, they'll financially give families, you know, a little bonus to say, yeah, if he signs for us at fifteen, you know, we'll make sure we look after him. But then as soon as he gets to that academy, they're always left to their own. Or, or what ends up happening, they can't trust these young players because managers are under so much pressure. So what do they do? They start loading them out. Mm. And then you'll find you've got most of your youth set up. Chelsea uh, are relevant for, until Frank Lampard. But they're about so like 20-odd. And they're youth players, a reserve player. Out they on had loan. 53 players out on loan two seasons ago. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That That's, that's a business. That's not football, is it? That's a business. You know, and we're seeing now that They've been given a chance, like your mounts and a few other players. And James was in there. You know, they've got the youth players in that are, are now shining. But they could have been shining probably, what, two, three seasons ago. But again, because of the pressures of having to win, having to win and the finances and the business um, platform of it, they haven't got time to develop players. But, you know, you need to be brave. And that's why I felt sorry for Frank Lampard, because he was brave, you know. He might not have got. I think. I think. I don't think his problem was the youth players. I think it's the senior players. I think the senior players were the ones who probably didn't buy into what he was doing. Because same you look senior at, look, players that have done the other managers before him. Yeah, yeah. You Up look at now. What, why is it all of a sudden now they're they're pulling up trees? <laughs> same, same same players. You know, sometimes you got to look a little bit deeper than than, than it's just Frank Lampard. Sometimes you got to remember Frank's probably played against a lot of them senior players. They're around his age. So all of a sudden, Frank Lampard be telling them they're not doing their job right. There's a little bit of resentment comes in there. They won't admit it, but there is. I think it's a good, that's a really good point in terms of the money in football. I'm, I'm good. Just obviously, '92. Obviously, Sky came over and, and took over. Well, created this whole not bubble because the bubble burst. And yeah. I think bubbles. It, it's so big now; it's never going to burst. I think it'll plateau. But um, wages back in sort of '92, '94. 90, well, pre-92 and definitely up to about 97, 98 in terms of the package of a player would receive in wages. It was, was quite decent, obviously, not compared to now if you, in, in hindsight. Yeah. But it was a lot more bonus-related back in the days. You know, when I've read biographies or books or um, anything that's about the game in the mid-90s, it was all about you get a set contract for, I don't know, eight, nine grand a week maybe, and then you get a bonus for goals, appearances, winning things, which then, as you mm. said earlier about the young players, like dangling that carrot, Surely that was as a business model. That was a yeah. way to run a business. What, what what was your views on on the changes that? Yeah, it worked for us. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We had incentives all the time. So, for instance, player for Norwich, we we got bonuses for how many games we didn't lose. So, if we won, you know, X amount of games in a row, our bonuses would keep going up and going up. So sometimes when we had that run where we were in the top top five most of the season our bonuses are more than our wages. So for us, it was like every time we won a game, we didn't care about the wages. We'd like, oh, we've got another bonus. Sometimes we are going on a run of five games and our bonus is like two grand just for a win. So for us, and you imagine once we got to the Champions League, that the bonuses went up because once we negotiated the contract, the chairman never thought, oh, they ain't going to get no, they're not going to get the Champions League. They're never <laughs> going to win the league. So our bonuses of being in the top six was, was crazy. And once we got to that tip six, you could see the chairman every week was just sweating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because every week he's thinking, oh God, not another bonus, not another bonus. <laughs> so most of the time, like I said, our wages 
I say only like to, I'm working for that much. It was sad. I think it was highest player was probably on about four grand, four grand a week, which is still good for them day because that's when yeah. the Premier first started, you know. So, and then you're, you the signing off fee would be a lot bigger. You're talking four figures, five figures, you know, your sign off fee every year. So, with that, you're actually weekly wage was probably around the four or five thousand, but then what you get, used to get signing on fee bonus was more than your wages. So they like to give out lump sums. Maybe it's a financial way they did it. But then our signing on fees and our bonuses, you know, outdid what we what we earning as wages anyway. That's the thing. I think now, I think they get the players get silly money per week and then they get silly money for bonuses. But it's hard to incentivize a millionaire. You know, if, if you're if you're on fifth up, 80, 90, 100 grand a week as a standard wage and then you're getting yeah. 7 million per, per year to sign on and then you're getting... I don't know, a 50 grand clean sheet bonus and all that. It's just the incentive isn't there because they're already multi-millionaires. But I do think the bottom, we had an episode last week about the um, controversies in football. And one, one thing that came up was our number one was the Bosman ruling. Do you think that had the biggest impact on wages, allowing people to run down their contracts? Yeah, because I think once that ruling came in, then people could see incentive to, to, to make themselves money. Because like we said in them days, even though people were saying that the, the money was good, it was only for the, the elite lot. You know, you had your elite players, you know, I think only we started to get an influx of the foreign players coming over and they, they were commanding big wages. So the actual players who would, what we say, would establish local players who were the team, um, the money wasn't that, the money was decent, don't get me wrong. The money was decent, but compared to the influx of the foreign players, they're the ones who helped get the money up. Because as soon as that Bosman came as well, people had just let their contracts run down. And, you know, they were allowed to almost save a club the signing on fee. So if you was going, for instance, if I was going, you know, to Newcastle, when I went to Newcastle, I let my contract run down, I could have then negotiated and say, listen, you know, I've saved you two and a half million, or whatever, whatever the price is. So you can negotiate some of that signed on fee. You know, now I think, um, I think, who else done it? I think Sol Campbell done it when I was at Tottenham when he went to Arsenal. Don't forget his contract ran out. So once he went over across to Arsenal, which you probably don't like to hear about, but, oh, but I um, love it. I love it, Rob. He's an Arsenal <laughs> fan. <laughs> I know, yeah. But when he went over there, so you think all that investment Tottenham had had in him. I don't forget he, he probably repaid him for his performances. But to see him go somewhere there and they could get a fee for him. So Sol was probably at his peak. I'd say he was probably worth. I think players were going around the 20, 30 million of them ties, were they? So if he negotiates it right, he probably would, would have said to them, well, you know, instead of you having to pay the 30 million I've saved you, give me that as a one-off bonus. He won't get the whole lot, but, you know, you can negotiate. And then it also, he's then got to still sort out his wages. Mad. So the Boswell was brilliant for, for players, you know? Madness, wasn't it? Um, you went on about the the, uh, the season you was in the top six with Norwich. So in the 92-93 season, uh, you were three points clear at Christmas. Did you ever think at that stage, was it, it's on, we've got a chance here? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Do you know what it was? It was, uh, it was strange because it was, it was almost like the a few seasons back with the Leicester situation. It was like, oh, you're, you're, you're going to slip up soon. You're going to blow up soon. And every time we did lose a game, we always kind of won the game after. And we would probably, you know, sometimes it'd be three 0 down and bring it back to three three. I mean, we had a team who were, I would say, we got so used to just going out and enjoying our football. We had a manager in Mike Walker, who no disrespect to him, he was our 
goalkeeper coach. He was our goalkeeper coach and then he, by default, became our first team manager. But don't get me wrong, he, he was a great manager, but he wasn't throwing teacups. He just let's, let us go play football. And we had players who were probably myself, we were peaking, we were peaking at our face. So you get to that stage in football, I think it's from around, I'll say around yeah, mid-twenties. From your mid-twenties, you'll have this peak, I would say, for four or five years where just everything's just instinctive. You know, you're, you're, you're at your best of your fitness levels. Everything becomes just natural for you. And I think also we had a great influx of um, ex-Tottenham players. We always had this connection where we had, we would get Tottenham players who weren't quite getting to the grade in the first team. I think we had, at one time, we had Mark Bowen, who was a fantastic player. We had Ian, Ian Crook, a, a, a brilliant centre midfield player. I think we had Ian Culverhouse, John Paulson. We had Gary Brook there. We've had we've had like top of the players who played the sort of football that we we were brought up to play with. So when they all came into our team and played with us for maybe one season, with the players we had there already, you know, we had Mark Robbins from Norwich, we had you know um, uh, Robert Fleck at one time, Dale Gordon, myself. It just became a thing where we had all these young players come through, and they would get given a chance, like we talked about earlier about young players giving a chance. And when they were coming to the first team, it was all just fun. So when we go to play every week, we weren't we weren't supposed to even get in the top ten, alone in the top six. So once we actually got there, all we were talking about was the bonuses and enjoying the way way games. We weren't doing <laughs> we weren't doing anything specifically professional, you know. We were still having beers on a Friday night in our hotel room. We were staying up till one in the morning playing video games. So all that diet stuff didn't mean nothing, you know. We were just going out and enjoying ourselves, you know. And it just so happened that. With that, we actually bonded better because we were we were all together all the time. So, you know, we never at one stage thought that we was gonna win the title. But, you know, of course, of course there's been you 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 go along with the press and say, Oh, you've got half a chance, all you got as soon as they told us all we gotta do is win this game, so I think that's when the pressure kicked in with us. Because up until then, all we were all we were uh, gearing ourselves on, oh, they all think we're gonna lose, so we'll just go out there and play. So we went out there with no fear. But then as soon as we were probably one of the favourites to win, I think then the pressure came on a little bit too much for us. Uh, was it true that Ajax made an approach to you after the end of that season? You turned them down? Yeah, well, they, they came in for me about three times. They came in for me when I was a youth player. Because, uh, again, in, them youth, in the youth days, at the end of the season, the first team went on to do it, done a, uh, they called it an end-of-season tour, but it was just a jolly up. You know, you went out there, you played a few, you know, you played a few teams, exhibition games, but most of the time you you was on a drink, you was just on a piss-up. <laughs> so with the youth team, we went to like tournaments of playing against Ajax and all these other teams. So I remember I played in a tournament, I think it was in Holland, and I got played a tournament and someone approached me after the tournament there, but our coach had a massive argument and they ended up fighting over it. <laughs> so every coach... Ended up fighting over it. I, I didn't look at it anything bad. I just thought, oh, this guy's come over, went to give me his card and said, you know, what? how long have you got now? I think I was still at school and I was playing for the youth team. So I was only 15. Wow. So so I had actually signed um, youth team forms by then. So then I, obviously the guy must have knew it. So he said, oh, why don't you just come over here and come for a training? And I, yeah, I thought, oh, that's nice. Before I could actually answer, there was an arm come across my neck. There was, you know, he was fighting the IX guy and it was all kicked <laughs> off. And then ironically, that helped because when we got back, 
they signed me on at 15-16. So, so yeah, they came for me then. And then when we had the, when we had the run, they came in again just before Newcastle. Well, you're not tempted to go then? Well, it, we, I, I, at them days, we didn't really have relevant agents. And even though we had agents, it was almost... The only how you would know is if your chairman was up front and honest with you. So it was either your chairman came and told you or you had a dodgy agent in them days. They were dodgy as old, the agents. So you had a dodgy agent who took 30% off you for doing a deal. So I was a bit sceptical about agents. So what, I only heard about it once I actually signed for Newcastle. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, them or, or Newcastle, I probably might even assuage to Newcastle because of Kevin Keegan factor. I'll bring you in, Granite. You had a question about about Newcastle. I'll I'll give it to you, mate. I have, yeah. Um, Rob, just before I get on to my question, um, the Ajax thing, can I ask you, do you actually, at that time, it would have been mid-90s, do you regret not going to Ajax? Because that was the time when Ajax had that fantastic team that won the European Cup. You could have been a massive part of that. Does that ever cross your mind? I'll be be honest with you. I wasn't even, I wasn't really too aware of them. It wasn't a... Obviously, everyone knew about Ajax and Cruyff and all the players, mm. but I wasn't aware. We we because we played them quite a few times in the in the youth tournaments when I was at Norwich, so I was aware of them. But we used to beat them in game C, so it wasn't kind of thing where I was thinking quite yeah. like you know there was nothing that stood out for me. You yeah. know, even though I I knew of Ajax, it wasn't where I was at Norwich. I was happy there, so it weren't a case where I was actually thinking, oh, you know, because Norwich only just gave me that chance. Don't forget, Norwich only just signed me. From schoolboy, yeah. so it's only been the first time I came. It was only my second season. I was still at school, so mm. everything was just like a blur for me at that time. But then, obviously, when in the Newcastle one, I would have probably have wanted to talk to him, but I didn't know until yeah. I've actually signed for Newcastle. Ah. So, do you know, it's one of them things that you know, if it, chance was there, because I'm one of them people, you know, I proved it before. Even though I was from Ipswich, I've travelled around, so I'm not afraid to travel. And try yeah. new things, but unfortunately, it was one of the ones that it, I wasn't aware of until I've actually, you know, till it was gone. Okay, yeah, okay, all right, okay. Um, the question I had for you all is, um, when you signed for Newcastle at that time, Kevin Keegan, um, held you as the best, the best player, you was the best player in that position, uh, in the country. Um, did you find it strange that Graham Taylor never approached you to play for to play for England at all? I uh, personally, I do, I think it was a strange yeah. decision, yeah, I think. Especially, uh, especially with the, the type of football that we were playing, and and the uh, and the form I was in, I mean, mm. I was just getting. I think I was I was getting talked about just before I left uh, for Norwich, and I think the only one who was probably in my place at that time was Tony Daly. I don't forget Graham Taylor had Tony Daly was winner at Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah good player. Don't get me wrong, fantastic player. But you still, I still felt maybe. I still would have gave him a bit of competition and maybe I would have been, you know, in the squad, you know, yeah. and it, it never progressed. You know, they kept talking about it. I remember that he, I actually got a phone call from, from the, from the, the FA, the England um, set up one time to say uh, how unlucky I was to miss out on the squad when I was at Norwich. And I thought, well, it's almost like a slap in the face, isn't it? Cause it's almost <laughs> like saying, saying that you're doing well, but you're not doing well enough to get in the squad. And then once I went to Newcastle again, Oh, I, I was in the limelight because we we were playing great football. Yeah. We were playing great football. Newcastle are playing well, and I think by then Terry Venables took I think took over, took over in England, and I played two England B games. We had a quite a good team. We had types of Robbie Fowler in the team with England B and everything. So I got called up with Rob Lee and John Beresford 
also at Newcastle. And yeah. we got two games, and then they kind of then stopped doing the B games. And then mm. after that, and I, I didn't hear nothing else from them. But, you know, I'm grateful for, you know, it might be B internationals, but I've still got the the, the caps there. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I got it. But I, I still felt like you're right. I still felt maybe I could have got in more squads. Yeah. The form you was in at that time, yeah, because Andy Sinton um, at QPR at the time, he kept getting... Um, called up as well so I thought you know when you're looking back quite harsh that you never got the actual chance but yeah because yeah, you think about it like I said to you especially when you think a lot of that a lot of the football around them days was about form you know it, 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 but there was still there were still occasions where your form didn't really matter if a manager had his eye on a certain player and he liked the type of player he is then instead of give, giving another person a chance to see how they are I'd prefer maybe to get a game if I didn't perform any training sessions or whatever, then I could quite understand because the English setups are different now. They'll bring in youth players in just to train with them to see how they adapt. But that never happened. You know, he made his choice. You know, like you said, he had Andy Sinton was there. And don't forget, at the time, we were, I think I'm, when Andy Sinton called up, I think it's at Sheffield Wednesday. And I, I can't remember if I was at Newcastle then, but he was getting called up in front of me and so yeah, was, he was Tony Daly still. So with that, it was almost a case where you kind of thought, well, my form's not doing out the door because I'm scoring goals and we're winning games and my assist was probably top assist in the league as well but you know it's just it just so happened it just just don't get picked so you you know you just you just get on with it yeah what was it like at, at Newcastle in terms of the the training run obviously um you was only there for a short period because Ginola came in I think the season after but for mm. the time you was at Newcastle on the training how was how was Keegan to work with in terms of as a coach obviously he's known for a very attacking style of football and some players have just said it's kind of just go out there and train and play. How how did you find it working under Keegan and, and McDermott? It was it, it was brilliant for me because I'd I'd gone from a, a Norwich team, don't forget, who was who were quite open and, and, and didn't have no fear. And that's why we we uh, we finished where we were in the league. So I went from that setup to the same setup. When at Newcastle, he was just all about attacking. And it was bad for the defenders, but for for, for myself, it was just he encourages just to keep playing and playing and playing and not giving up. And it was almost like he wanted you to play with a smile on your face. There was occasions where I used to get angry with myself. You know, you couldn't just get that pass across. And I'd be, I'd hear him shouting across me at the at the pitch saying, Foxy, Foxy, Foxy. And I'll be like, oh God, what's he going to say? He's going to tell me off. A, and be like, keep smiling, keep smiling, keep enjoying <laughs> it, you know? So it, it encouraged you just to, just to keep enjoying your football. It was only when the pressures of the finances came in, you know, that... You know, your persona changes, you know, because you're under pressure to win games and win games. But, you know, my time, even though it was a short um, spell, it felt longer because of the, the, the amount of joint we had. We was only, when we first went there, we were training at a university called Durham, uh, Durham University. So, you know, it's an open place. So you go there and the training ground was lovely because we were training on the, on the hockey grass and everything. So it was it was like glass. So, you know, imagine a football we're playing. We've got Beersy, Andy Cole, Robert Lee there. We are, you know, Lee Clark there. We had a lot of talented players. So the father side was just going mental. You know, the touches, were, the football was brilliant. And then all of a sudden he decided he wanted to let the fans in. So there was times we had like 1,500, 2,000 fans at a training ground. You know, the fans were fanatical, but at the same time, they were respectful. So, you know, for the support there, and the football, you know, you can see the troubles they're going through now, but they're still for the stadium. So my time there was was so enjoyable. It was it was a pleasure, you know, because it was a it was a difficult decision because even though they came in for me, the story behind it was that um, 
the chairman was the one who called me in when I was going to train and said to me, um, you know, uh, come to, come into my office before you go train. And I, I thought he's just offering me a brand new contract. And he said, look, Newcastle are coming for you. We've agreed to fee. Um, we're going to let you go up there and talk to him. I still had two years to run on my contract. So I just thought, well, hold on, that's a bit strange. Why are you let me talk? He said, look, we think that you can be a better player away from here, but if you still feel you want to stay, then you can stay. So I said, oh, I'll go up there and talk to him. So by the time I went up there, he'd gone and told the press that I turned the contract down. So in his back of his mind, he really wanted to get rid of me at Norwich because I think he wanted to cash in on the players, you know, which is a bit of bit cheek. But at the end of the day, it got me from where I was. So I wasn't upset about it. But then when I went to Newcastle and as soon as I spoke to Keegan, I mean, I met him in a hotel, I think it was like on a Tuesday, and I never went back home. I had to get my clothes set up. I didn't even go home to pick my stuff up. I was that happy there. You know, <laughs> I was in a hotel. He, he, he just looks after you. It was like little things like, I was in, even though I was in a hotel for the first year, I was allowed to have all my family up in the hotel. My friends could stay in the hotel. You know, it, it, when my friends came up, they'll have a security guy take them out and take them for meals. So they took away the pressure of, 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 of you know, trying to think about moving into a, a new area. Don't forget, you know, again, going back to the, you know, how it was in football, Newcastle wasn't a place where I enjoyed playing because of the racism and stuff. So at the time, when he told me about the club setup, he said to me, you're going you're to change people's mindsets, which made it even more important for me to, you know, do well there because he was saying that not many black players have been successful there. They never really had any there to what they could lord about. So when Andy, Andy Cole had been there just a season before me, so it was just me and Andy Cole there. Then obviously from there, was, you know, it, the fans took to us straight away and, and you know, it's it one of the best times of my career. Amazing. Uh, you moved on to Spurs for Jerry Francis. Um, was it uh, about 18 months later, I think it was, for £2.5 yeah. million? Uh, how how was that with with Jerry Francis? What what what, what how that how did you get to that move? What, what happened with that? Again, again, it was um, it was strange. It was almost like the Newcastle. It's almost like the Norwich situation. I'd been playing well at Newcastle. I think I was I scored twelve goals, fourteen goals first season. I was there. I was then playing well for the second season. Then he, I think he then brought David David in, David Ginola in, which was fine. So we we were playing either either side. So that was working well, you know. We was get, you know, I was playing all the time, and then he had the situation with um, Andy Cole. So then he um, sold Andy Cole, but got Keith Gillespie in as part exchange. So then all of a sudden he's got a dilemma. He's got three of us who, who want to play, you know. And then he he chopped the changes. I play one week, whatever week, and it just got to the stage where I felt that, well, hold on a minute, I don't think I'm going to be playing all the time. Which again, when you look back at it, in them days there weren't so many things as rotation. So for me, I took it personal, thinking, well, if he doesn't want me here, so I I, I spoke to him a few times. Yeah, I got on really well with him. I, you could go knock on his door. He's one of them bands you can knock on the door. He'll sit you down. He'll have a good honest conversation. He guaranteed. He said, no, 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 you're going to play. You're going to play. And I said, oh, that's fine. Went back to training, and then all of a sudden I see all the things in the newspaper about Tottenham. So I went to see him again. I said, well, what's all this about? Tottenham, you know, and then he come out and said it. We said, well, you know, um, I can't guarantee you're going to play all the time. And I think at the time, back his mind, he is thinking an investment. So he said, to, I think it was four point something they were offered. So I think um, he, de- I, I then said to, well, if it, you know, it's a chance for me to go back back down south, and also, you know, financially, I'm going to earn more money. So there was different reasons why 
I wanted to go there, but at the same time, I, I would if I even had turned it down, I'd have been happy to stay there because I was I was more than happy there. But you know, he allowed me to go and and, and speak to him. So then, and that's how it, it all turned out. Uh, I'll bring Holland things. I'll be rubbing it away. Sorry, Dave. Um, Holland, I'll bring you in on a few of your questions you had for for Rule. Uh, yeah, thanks, Rule. Um, right. Yeah, being an Arsenal fan, um, Arsene Wenger came in in nineteen ninety six, and it's regarded as him changing the culture of English football. Um, that's what so they say. I'm wondering how how it felt being at another club, and did it change? Did it change uh, the way things were done, i.e., the drinking culture? Did you notice a difference at other clubs once Wenger started implementing it in Arsenal? Yeah, I think I think maybe that it started to change. I think even at Tottenham, we was tra- training at a it was a hellhole called Mill Mill Hill up there, someone up there, and it was just a, it was just a Sunday park place. There was like it was like old changing rooms. You know, there was no door on the changing rooms. It was cold concrete. The showers didn't work. So we went from there to uh, Alan Sugar was in, in charge of the club. There we went to a place called Chigwell, which is where I think they still are now. And that's when they built our own training ground. You had your own lockers, steam rooms. The doctor was on the premises. He had his own office there. We had a kitchen so you could eat healthily there. So uh, he had a massive input. He had a massive input. I don't think he stopped the beer culture. <laughs> not, not at Tottenham anyway. I mean, the problem we had at Tottenham was was that um, the, that's the only difference I felt was, was at, at Tottenham was socially we didn't really bond. We were just players. Where at Newcastle, we was told, no uncertain terms, we had to go out for lunch together all the time. King would have a little uh, golf trips away and make sure we all stayed together. Because it's like, like I said at Norwich, I think that is a part and parcel of get to know your players. But at Tottenham, it was all, you know, good players, great set of players individually. But as a team, you know, you've got one player, I lived in Colchester. You've got someone living in Brentwood. You've got someone lived in the West End. Someone lives you know, looted, you know, it was just, as soon as I finished trading, everyone just scattered. So I think that, that was down to the manager. Yeah, well, it's, 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 down, it's, down to, it's, it's down to the club culture, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, it's down, it's down to whatever manager you've got, he has a way of implementing and getting the team spirit there because it don't always happen on the training ground. Mm. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I think sometimes them little people skills, them little tricks that managers have, Keegan was brilliant at it. When I was at Norwich, I was brilliant at it. And when I went to Tottenham, even though we got on well, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the players I didn't like, or, or but you never got to really know them. Apart from where there was an opening in the West End and a few of you turned up to it. But it was that was on a, that's on a beer front. It wasn't, you know, like trips away where you could get to know each other, bonding things. You know, it was almost like you had to get to know each other on a pitch and sometimes it just doesn't click. You could have the, we had a, we had a fantastic team. But it never it never clicked on a consistent basis, you know, where we, we kept building and building. So that I think that was maybe the slight difference when I was at Tottenham, even though the, at times the football I really enjoyed it and, and I loved I loved being at Tottenham. I think as a personal uh, thing for me, the team spirit wasn't just weren't quite there for me. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Chris, unfortunately, um I've got to go to work in a minute, but you just quit, um, <laughs> about your Tottenham days. You and David Ginola used to swap wings. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we so, used to yeah, we used on. to do that. Because we used to do that at Newcastle. It was just something naturally we we started doing all the time. We've done it. Yeah. We, the, the manager didn't like it sometimes, but it's it was one of the things that you look at the way. I think something like Manchester United were the first ones to start doing things like that, and I le- we learned to do that at Norwich doing that because yeah. it was trying to think 
it just gives you a different outlook. Because you remember, I think we can remember Giggs and Kachelskis playing against us. And one minute you had him on the left wing, then Kachelskis came over. Mm. So I think defender, it's a nightmare. Because once yeah. you think you've, once you think, oh, I've got hold of this, I know what this wing is going to do now. Next minute, you've got Ginola coming over. Yeah. You know, so so we, we, as long as you've still done your defender's duties, I don't think it was a problem. You look at today's game now, where you play the three up front, it's almost the same thing. You know, you've got, yeah. you know, you've got players who, who, who interchange all the time. That's a fantastic answer. Uh, because we had when we done the underrated, um, we actually stuck you on the left wing. And um, we had yeah. a slight debate with certain listeners that were, that were saying, Rule Fox played every one of his games on the right-hand side. But if you answered the question, it's fantastic to be right. <laughs> I've got to sign out now. Let's go to Rule, can I, can I ask you, um, as an Arsenal fan, what it was like to play in North London Derby? I'd love to know if, uh, how that was. I, I actually, I didn't mind it. I mean, again, you got, like we said to you, for the fans, it's, it's everything for the fans. Yeah. You know, I understood. I mean, I played in little ones. I mean, I played in the in the in the East Anglia derby, but I was playing for the wrong team in a way because I was from Ipswich and I was playing for Norwich. So I understood it because you know my family couldn't leave their house because they would just get bombarded all the time. Or you know, if I lost, they'd be getting stick. Or don't forget, I was still actually living in Ipswich and playing for Norwich, so they knew where I lived. So I understood about the banter and you know the the loyalty to things. So. It was big, but again, I feel that even though it was big and it was built up big, I don't think the players kind of grabbed on it. I think, you know, the foreign players took a while to actually understand the history of it. And I think, again, I think that's where you kind of, I think that's where you kind of miss the trick sometimes. I can remember, going back to Newcastle, I can remember when I went there, every player, we was all t- taken to like an old social club where all the fans go. You know, and we done a question and answer. Every player had to go, had to go. And you then understood what they had to pay to come and watch you. Then we went to see somebody. We went to some of the old social clubs where the old guys had mining stories and all that. And, you know, and how hard it is, how much money they have to save up just to take their family to football. And it gives you a feel of what it means to the to the actual the locals. But I think, with, again, with the top master thing, for the hard, diehard fans like yourselves who's, who's been brought up through family through family through family you understand it but it needs to be more instilled into the players so yeah. they they understand it because back in my day I don't think we had to tap we had to actually say anything about a derby people were just kicking lumps at each other from minute one you know you'd be you'd, you'd be surprised if it was, there was there, it was like an eight aside after after um, 60 minutes <laughs> but that's what it meant to the players isn't it you know yeah. but nowadays I think obviously with the Vieira era I think they bought into it because I think Wenger understood it more. It's it what we did an episode again, um, uh, the rivals between Arsenal and Man United, and one of the things that came up it was that uh, we were saying that the that rivalries in football, and you got the derbies, um, and they are different to rivalries because uh, of a longevity period. But the Man United Arsenal was the last rivalry in football in terms of English football, where you could have when you had players playing for the club, you actually felt like they understood what it meant to the fans and to play for the club. So, you know, Keane versus Vieira, Gary Neville versus Overmars, yeah. Ian Wright, yeah. Schmeichel. The, it's lost now, I think. When you see players in the, in the tunnel at halftime or during the game or before the game hugging and asking things yeah, about yeah. do you think we've lost that now in the game? Do, do you enjoy... I mean, Keane's quite critical of it and I, I think quite rightly yeah. so. What's yeah. your opinion on the way it's changed? It, it's quite a negative thing. 
I, I, I think, I think it's like I said, that's the way that we're talking about how we're talk, going back to academies about, you know, pl- you know, players not growing up quick enough. I think it, 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 it comes down to that as well. Not to I mean, the, the quality of the football is still good at times. But again, I think the passion isn't there. You know, they want to win the game, don't get me wrong. But sometimes it needs to be coming from, from the manager, how important this game is. You know, you always hear fans ranting on about it. You know, this means more. I don't care whether um, Tottenham are 10 points clear of Arsenal in the league. It's bragging rights. It's bragging rights. So it means, it means so much. And I think when that's instilled into the players, you know, you'll, you'll get a passionate, you'll get a passionate um, match. But nowadays, because players, again, it might be, I might be wrong in speaking, it might be, again, the uh, foreign input in, in that where, you know, when they see each other, they're always giving us a kiss on the cheek or shaking hands before games. But Alex Ferguson would never have that. He hated Arsenal and Wenger, and Wenger they, they hated each other, but on a professional front, you yeah. know, they respected each other, but they knew that they were the, they were the, you know, the top teams. And it's about trophies and winning and stuff. You know, you hear famously Alex say, it's only Arsenal. It's only Arsenal, you know, because he wanted to instill it into players, even though he knew they were a threat, he wanted to distill it and say, you know, they're not a threat to us. We just got to turn up. Don't let these people beat us. Don't let them beat us. So, you know, I love their manager rivalries. I'm not too sure whether, off the top of my head, I can think of a, a, a manager rivalry now. Mourinho tries to rival everyone, doesn't he? But Mourinho, I think no, no one buys into the Mourinho anymore in terms of that cycle, no, mind games he, and all that stuff. It's kind of part. Like, yeah, because all that psychological stuff, with it worked when he when he had his first stint at Chelsea. Now people don't buy into it, you know, so it, it, it doesn't work so much. But the, the mind games used to work well because, don't forget, um, Marino's probably learned that because he, he he saw Alex Ferguson do it because he was trying to win over Alex Ferguson when he first came to Chelsea, weren't he? Yeah. Uh, interesting seeing going to the, the like the mining clubs and things. A really important point. I would like to see more clubs when it comes to a rivalry try and they might do this. I, I might be speaking out of turn, but you don't really hear anything about it. Go into one of these places and seeing what the rivalry means to the fans. The real fans, you know, I think that's something that's. What yeah, was your, that, I mean, did that did that give you an extra edge when you went to these things and you spoke and heard what the fans said? Did you, in you, start thinking, God, I've got to win, I've got to make sure we, we get the free? Yeah, well, what what you do, you appreciate what they go through because you're you're not a fan, so all you are is a player entertaining the fans. So it made you appreciate what it takes for them to actually come to a game, or they'll give you their life stories of you know their dad's dad was a supporter, their granddad was a supporter. You know, as soon as their kids are bought, they're naming it after players in Newcastle. They're fanatical. You know, I had people bringing dogs to me to sign their dogs and they're naming dogs after <laughs> me and cats after you. It, honestly, it's it's mad. It's mad. But then it makes you appreciate how fanatical. But again, it's, a, it's fanatical, but it's, it's also warming and nice because there's always a story behind it. And they'll come up to you and they'll say to you, they want, you know, excuse me, let me say, you know, when you take my wife home and all that kind of stuff, and they're mad, they're mad. But it's it, it, it's warming, but it's funny. But then when we used to, but then the time that's the time, like you said, where you understood it because you could go out in town. You know, every time we went out in town, we never had to buy a drink. But at the same time, we never thought we was too big for them. But we never got hassled. We walk into a nightclub, they'll give us a standard evasion. They'll come and buy you a drink. You go be on a bar, they wouldn't let you buy a drink. They let your friends in, so you mingle with them. There was no jealousy no what to fight you you know anything like that it was just it was it was just you were just part of the you're part of the community and i think that's what makes that newcastle so special 
Yeah, such a difference. Uh, Miller, you had a question. I'll, I'll jump back to you, Mills. Um, yeah, since you've been talking, up, my mind's gone in loads of different avenues. <laughs> when you was playing, I've heard certain players have superstitions, match day routines and stuff like that. Was there anything that you had to do on a match day to get your head straight? There weren't nothing I did with my kit or anything like that. It was just music. I used to put music on. But then managers didn't like it sometimes because you, you forget to take it out and there's them doing the team talk. They might be telling me to, to pick up someone on the corner <laughs> set piece and I've got my moves on. But I like I used to like, um, that's when all the raves were going on when mm. I was at Tottenham. Just when I went to Tottenham, that's when they used to have all the um, illegal raves and the uh, garage and all that. So I was into all that stuff. So that used to get me going before a game. So I, if any ritual, I should always have music on. But nowadays, yeah. you see them on, they're coming off the coach with their big headphones on yeah. and all that now. But, but yeah, I only used to do that. I probably, it was after the warm-up, I'd have a little five minutes to myself, put headphones on and just just rave myself up a little bit before a game. So that was, that was my ritual. So you, you're saying about changing sides where defenders would try and kick lumps at you and stuff like that. Would you say that's missing in today's game? Would you rather play in today's game where the referee protects you a bit more or would you rather play in the era that you actually played in? I'd, it's a bit of both, really, because I think I think you need to get the right balance. You don't want, you know, in my days, it, you, you, you're allowed to kick someone in the stands five times before you usually got a caution. So, you know, you was a bit of a marked man. I learned to hurdle quite early when I was a winner. Yeah. Don't forget, I'd play against people like Stuart Pearce and, you know, Freddie Malali and Julian Dix. So you had to learn to jump high. So, you know, my, <laughs> my reflexes were very good. But at the same time, it, you know, if, if you give it back to him, then, you know, pick you up, shake your hand after mm. a game. There was no animosity. Nowadays, because of the protection that players get, it, it encourages it's get to the stage now where you know every week you see people diving and even you know we could say it's a foreign influence but even our own players are doing it you know even our own players are you know because they know now that, that they're being protected so any sort of touch you know in a box or you know a lot of players now are quite clever at running across a defender and waiting for the defender to climb with them mm. and then falling over you know it's, it's, it's more the screaming now though you know the screaming that you get because there's no crowds it's, yeah. like, it's almost like they've been shot. I know. I saw the... Um, I was, can I know, right? I see the, the match of the day. Yeah, that was I, saw that, I saw that with the Lacazette. And <laughs> I, I heard it in the game. And I thought he broke his ankle or something. And then when they replayed it, for me, you'd be... Imagine Finney Jones doing that to him. Oh, He's wow. screaming. Because <laughs> in, my, in my day, you could pick him up and drag him around for a little while. Mm. And then the referee would come in and you'd be able to give him a little dig. You know, nowadays they're screaming over just a little graze, and because they they know if you scream that 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 is a definite that is a definite foreign thing, and it's not. I'm saying that they're cheated. It's the way that they've they've been brought up. It's the way they've been brought up. So to take that out of a player who's been brought up from a child, you know, to then come to our league when they're in their twenties, it's hard to get. It has to come from a manager again. It has to come from ever saying, you know, you can't be. You can't be diving. You know, um, famously Ronaldo had that when he was at Man United. Mm. And the players, and Ferguson had to tell him, you can't keep doing it because, you know, that's not that's not what, what they're about. I think I'll say that the players, strong players in the change room will stamp that out. We don't do that in this country. We don't do it in this, yeah. league, this club. But I don't yeah. think the clubs now have that strong backbone through the team. 
as I think they're le- I th- yeah, leader. I th- I think, that's it. Again, it's, it's win the games. It's, that's the mentality. I mean, don't get me wrong. We we had teams that were good enough to win major titles and European um, titles and stuff. What always let us down was that they they would do anything to win a game. Mm. Well, we we had our pride. Oh, we don't dive around with that. But then sometimes, you know, players would be diving around, rolling around, getting free kicks, and then that could be the winning goal. And then we might be angry, but when you get back home, when you look back now, you think, do you know what? You sometimes have to play them at their own game. But then where where does the line start getting crossed I think too that, much? That, that, that where bolted now. I think that diving tactically it's tactical now it's not a dive it's yeah. a tactical play now as you said the, the forward will come across and wait for the defender or he'll go in a box and, and wait for the defender to leave a leg in so I think it's, that's now unfortunately this is why we've done a night we started a 90s based podcast because you had the, the more um, characters as, as Adam said about the characters in the game uh, and as he said we miss them you know Vinnie Jones uh, Dennis Wise Roy Keane you can go on and on and on and on about leaders in the, in the game who was the the player that you played with, who was the the best leader? We don't really have a Norwich so much because we we was all together as a team. So something that we all kind of bundled in. I mean, leaders as in, like I said, uh, like you say, a, a tough guy leader. We didn't really at Newcastle. We had Barry Venison, who, 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 who used to look after the players. Any sort of trouble, he used to always be there. We had even at Tottenham. I, w- I won't even call him a leader, but we had uh, Colin Coldwood. He was he was a nutter. He was an absolute nutter. But you know, he he, he, he weren't our captain because Saul was our captain. But he loved it. You know, he mm. he he loved he, lo- he loved the rocks. He, he, he you know, especially when it came to games, he'd be in the tunnel just barging past people sometimes just to start trouble. You know, he, I think he, he I think that's the way he used to get himself up for a game. But for us, we're thinking, oh, what are you winding them up for? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Go fast, Roy Keane, give him a dig in the ribs when you walk by. You don't need to wind them up. Do you know what I mean? We're ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, as in hard, man, we, you know, you had your tough tackle midfield players, but we know our, our leaders were, were different. We had brave defence. I mean, we had Ian Butterworth when I was at Dodge. He, he, was, a, he was a brave defender. But, you know, some people, they... They lead by example, so they do their job, but they're not kind of people who are going to be grabbing people from here and telling you what to do, like a, like a key, like we give an example. You know, some players lead. Sol, Sol Campbell's our captain, but he was never a vocal captain. He just led by his performances. Mm. You know, he was just such a good defender that, you know, we just all kind of learn off him, if, if, if you get what I mean. Talking about Sol Campbell, how, was, how did that affect when he, when he left Tottenham to go to Arsenal on that three? What was it, what was it like in the Tottenham squad? I think it was a more of a shock for the for the for the fans more than the players. Do you know? Because you're around the players all the time, so it it, it, it was going to happen. He was definitely going to leave, but it was also we. I'm room with him all the time, so he was my room partner. So I had conversations with him all the time, and I, I you know, what he was saying. Don't forget the team was depleted. We, I think we had, did we have Christian Gross at that time? But mm-hmm. I can't remember if he was oh, there. Have you time. got any Christian Gross? If you had him at the time, how how was he as a manager? Strange, strangely enough, you know, I don't really have that many bad things. So do you know what? Do you know one thing I, w- I would give him credit for, which is a bit of an insult to us, but I think most players would agree. He he was a little bit advanced coaching wise for us. The only okay. thing that let him down is that the players didn't buy into it because he was not really that that well known. And because the players didn't really feel him, and also uh, the fans, he was always on a hider to nothing. But coaching-wise, training sessions, um, 
tactical things, he was very good. You know, he, he was a he was a very good coach. But because you got remember when you got a new manager and, and he's not, um, I would say, that well known, you kind of get away with giving him a little bit of back chat sometimes when you think that things that when you think training's rubbish or something. You know, where other managers you just get on with a training session, no matter if they're good or bad. This manager's earned his stripes, so you 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 know, and he's been successful. Like when George Graham came in, no one was questioning his his stuff, and his training wasn't the best. You know, he's training. Do you think with, with with Wenger coming in prior to that though, that the players would have given him more of a chance to see what what happened over across the road at Arsenal with a manager that was not well known with massive players? Do you not think that if everyone maybe band together, maybe he could have been a more a more successful manager there? I think I think if he'd have came in and he would have stamped his authority earlier. And any sort of players who would like back chatting and he put them in their place, then you're starting off on the on, on the right front. I think when you when you're trying to be too nice, and I think he was coming across nice to us, but all the all the stories we was hearing from when he was uh, manager in um, it was Grasshopper, I think. Grasshopper, he was totally different. You know, he, they were said he was quite strict. You know, you know, he, you know, he had a strict regime, and you know about training about how much running and stuff they were doing but when he came up to Tottenham he was also caught between wanting to implement all these ideas but also wanting to kind of feel players out but then by the time he started doing that you know players were I, w- I wouldn't say they're not listening to him but they didn't believe in, in, in what he was trying to put across and then also what, what made it worse I think um, Alan Sugar brought in Jürgen Klinsmann for the second time without Christian Gross knowing it. So it put Christian, you know, as far as Jürgen was gone, Jürgen was, was was coming over to play football, but maybe with an option of coaching, I don't really know. But him coming over, you know, the press started leaking stories about him possibly taking over. And for a manager, he was probably thinking, well, how can I go against Jürgen Klinsmann? You know, he, he needed to get the dressing room and I don't think he had the whole dressing room. So it was unfortunate for him. But, I, you know, I, I've not really got too many bad things to say because he was, I thought he was a decent coach. As you were saying about the playing at Tottenham, the level that you was in the league, was there any teams that you came up against where you thought, I know I'm going to have a good game against this lot? Or did you just have that one team or one player? Like, don't want to name and shame anyone, but did you ever go on a pitch thinking, I'm going to have a field day on you today? Yeah, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, love that. No, no, I'll be honest. I like playing against Nigel. They weren't. They weren't that easy, really. I, I there was players I liked to play against because they. It was always it was uh, competitive, but in a, in, in a in a good way. You know, you you, you enjoy playing. I couldn't really know. Could it be a little bit disrespectful to the players because I don't think players go out there. I think sometimes it's like it's like saying that someone who's always getting the better of someone, you know, do you love playing? Of course you like playing against certain teams. Mm. It's, it's almost certain, certain teams. teams. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always done well against Coventry and I, I, I couldn't even tell you who the left-back was even then, see? So, but I enjoy playing them, not because I probably got the better level, because I always see the perform well to score goal. So mm. you always had a team you could, you, you play well against. I enjoy, I, 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 because of my position, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the battle with, with any fullback. Even, even, even the difficult ones where, Against you know, the hard was like piercing that, you know, to just to get one over, even just to get past Stuart Pierce once was a celebration <laughs> for me. So, so, but yeah, I mean, even to that's what that's what you that's what you play for, you know, that's why you know that's what you dream of, you know. People will, like they always say, rip off their right arm to to be doing what I was doing, you know. So, you know, even in difficult games, 
in a strange way, was a learning um, learning thing for me, and it was also enjoyable. At West Brom, Ajabi, you ended your career playing for West Brom. Uh, what was that? Because it was a, a, a bit of a supporter as well. It kind of was it. Did Mexico? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, uh, things always happen for a reason. It was just one of them situations that under George Graham, I I, I come to the conclusion I wasn't going to be playing. I still had about a year and a half to run up a contract. They were hovering or hurling whether just to pay me off and let me go. Sugar didn't want to pay me off. So I was happy just to fight for my place. Then it was obvious they were, I think they had David Pleat, David Pleat came in as director of football then. They were trying to get me to go because he kept telling me about all these clubs coming. He's telling me that Birmingham want me, Blackburn want. And I kept turning it down because I kept saying, well, no, you know, until I hear it from George Graham, then I wasn't going to go. So it kept going back and forth and then threatening to, you know, just sell me in. I just said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of my career. I was at 31. So I said, look, I'm going to go to Clive want to. And did that, the blue um, Gary Megson, who I knew, who, who was at Norwich, where I was at Norwich, he was one of the, we go back to, you know, people who, who like to get stuck in. He was probably one of the key signers for us where we was at Norwich to being a bit more stable. Because mm-hmm. when we was at Norwich, we were just, we were like Keystone Cops. We were just sprinting up the pitch and, you know, no one was getting back. He was one who kind of taught us, hold on, someone's got to sit. You know, he was the one who broke up play. So, fair play to him. I always, I've always respected him as a player. And and he phoned me up and said to me, um, would you want to come to West Brom? Looked at the table of where West Brom was. I was thinking, you know, do you know what? I was I was honestly hovering up just to retire. I just I just kind of got that state. I, I had enough. So he said to me, why don't you come up, have a look. At the same time, um, I think Black, Blackburn, Sam Allardyce had phoned me up. The, uh, Bolton, sorry. He was at Bolton. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said to him, Oh, yeah, I'll drive up and have a chat with you. As I'm driving up, Megson's on the phone to me, Foxy, you can't go there. You don't want to go there. It's horrible. It's up north. He kept saying it, saying it. So in the end, I turned my car, drove up <laughs> drove up to West Brom, went up the M- M- M1, M6. I had Sam Allardyce's representative on the phone saying, you fucking bastard. We've fucking got the hotel for you. Why aren't you fucking here? Blah, blah. So I turned my phone off, went to West Brom. In the end, spoke to him and he just said to me, he said, look, he, he told me, he said, look, I know, you know, because he knew I, I was just really thinking of not playing no more. And he said, look, come here for a season. He go, you enjoy it. He go, look, you know, he said about me traveling back home. And so I won't be homesick. So I got extra days off. So he looked after me and he just said, look, I just want an experienced player in there. And he put me in the, in the centre midfield, but he put me almost floating, you know, between the striker. And I loved it. You know, I wasn't made to do anything. I was at the age where I didn't want to be running around. So for me, I had as well. I had two two whippets up front. I had Lee Hughes, who was banging the goals, and Jason Roberts. So and they were young lads. So for me, I had, I had a in a team where I, I was going to play all the time. I was probably captain. Me and Derek McInnes, who's now Aberdeen manager. Yeah. So we had right. captain and vice captain. We had a really good team. You know, and so we had some really his players with Darren Moore, who's now manager Sheffield Wednesday, was the size of him. We had him centre half, you know. So we had a really, really good team. So you know, all my job was to was to get the ball and give it to Lee Hughes and, and Jason Roberts. Yeah. So I became a bit of a a, a, a false ten, whatever you want to call it. You know, I was just floating around. You got I loved it. that season as well. They went, they, they, you got the yeah. that season as well. Yeah. So we got promoted. Um, but it's still after that. I still didn't have that feeling work because that obviously got the premier, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be playing. 
32, you know, and I had an extra year in my contract. I could have been playing, you know, got a coaching role, but I was honest with him. It got to the end of it. We, you know, for me to help them get promoted, you know, that was enough for me. And then I just said, well, no, nah, that, that's it for me. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to retire. So, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a good way to finish. Like we said, the links with West Brom, it's, a, it's ironic how things come around. You know, me being a supporter, Eddie McCurriac, West Brom, meeting Cyril Regis as well, who was there, you know, yeah. Gory Sowett. It, it was, I, I couldn't ask for a better ending to my career. Amazing. And then obviously, uh, just we talked to international at the beginning, but you did play internationally uh, for two games. And scored one goal, yeah. a very good ratio. Tell us a bit about that. How'd that come around? Monstrat, yeah. How'd Monstrat, that, come yeah that, that was a strange one again, because after I actually finished playing football, I came back to my hometown, which I live at now, and I, I've always worked with the community here. So I started doing the, helping them with the, with the finances, and I was chairman down there. I would play, I played actually for my, my team I started at, so it all come around in a circle. So the Witten United team I started, I was a kid who I got spotted, I went back to them, was playing for them. Then I was playing for the vets. So I was just playing and I got a call out the blue from a guy who said he was coaching over in Montserrat and said to me, um, they've invited you to go over there to my mother's um, home, home island to, to go do some training and coaching. So I thought, well, I spoke to my mum about it and, I, and she just said, yeah, that would make her proud. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go over there. Ended up taking a flight out of there and I was doing that for two years back and forth and trying to find players ended up being, I was only supposed to be coaching, ended up playing in a tournament, yeah. <laughs> playing in a tournament and scoring the goal, you know, which was great for me. So it, for, for me, it was probably one of my proudest, proudest times. It sounds strange, but for me to be able to play for my motherland, you know, it made my mum proud. I was, it, because I only played for the England B team, I was allowed to represent Bobstrap, which was great. You know, I mean, they were, they were just, part-time players one was a prison guard someone was a chef there was there was it was almost like you can pick your normal Sunday team with this Sunday it was that level we were like second from bottom of the world rankings so uh, after I went there I, through my connections I was able to bring some lower league players in start to play some decent football we then won our first game ever and when we got back there was a big carnival off us just for winning the game <laughs> It, 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 oh, it was brilliant. It, that, that's where you realise what football means to people. You know, big carnival. You know, we got we got um, got honoured as players and all that kind of thing. But then, like I said, as quickly as it went like that, the next stage for me was obviously to come back to England and try to you know do what the Jamaicans done and people like that is see which heritage players had and bring them over. Uh, as soon as I'd done that, it, it, you know. Not really, not, well, I knew at the time, but not the people at the time. That's where all that corruption was starting. We had all these lovely football associations, but for some reason, they had no money. And I, I noticed quite a lot, because even though I didn't, I told them specifically, I didn't want no money. I said, all the money you give me my wages, I'll put it back to the team. And it was all dodgy things where I had to pick wages up from the from Trinidad at one time. So I had to get a, 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 a flight over to Trinidad just to pick wages up. You know, alarm bells was, are ringing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I looked at my watch. I was like, you know what? It might be time for me to go. But yeah, that it was frustrating. But at the same time, again, it was a blessing because I got out there. I got to see where my mother was from. You know, I, I saw family connections. I was able to coach him and and get him to get him to a higher level. We then we was off the bottom of the FIFA rankings and moved up ten places. So for me, you know. 
uh, it, it was a fantastic time. It's just, it's a pity how it ended because it, it, I was happy to, to do it. I'm still happy to do it now. It was just a case they were going through and not because, not their fault, because of the FIFA thing that was going on, Seth Flatter and, um, and, and a few of the others who were controlling the academy. There was just things dodgy going on. I couldn't really associate my name to it because, you know, it, it, was, it was silly things like I would ask a player who I'd um, targeted from, for instance, I had a player called um, Tesfaye Bramble from Southend and I knew the manager at the time and I, you know, convinced him to come and play and I was over in Monster at the time and I, you know, phoned him up, told the association to book the tickets and then I got a phone call from Heathrow saying that the association booked the tickets. So I had to pay for the tickets for three players to come over and then when they got over there, they put me in hostels. It weren't like a hotel. Everything was just all kind of backwards. Yeah. And then after a while, I thought, well, you know, we didn't have a doctor. You know, we had a guy, an old guy in his 60s with a sponge. You know, so we... <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, was it was a magic sponge? sponge. Yeah, yeah. It was just prime, <laughs> mate. And I just thought, I just thought something's going to happen. Well, I'm going to get sued. You know, you can't be asking professional players to come over and there's no doctor. You know, I've got a South End Football Club throwing me up and saying, how's my player doing? And he's limping over off the other side of the pitch with an old guy with a bucket and a sponge. I'm saying, yeah, he's, he's doing well. He's loving it over here. You know, so, so I had to quickly get out of that because I thought to myself, unless they tightened up on stuff like that, it was kind of thing, though it was, uh, it was an honour. Brilliant. Uh, fire round, basically. I'll ask you a few questions. Just answer the first thing that comes to your head. Yeah. Um. So, first one, hardest player you played against? Told you that Stuart Stuart Pierce. Stuart Pierce, best game you ever played in? I'd have to say the Bar Munich game. Most crazy player you played with? Malcolm Allen. <laughs> you don't want to ask me. You don't want to go to the story about that. <laughs> Just believe, believe me. All I'm going to say, there was a lot of sick players around at that time. To him, I'll say him and Robert Flick. Okay, best manager you played under? Oh, I I I know it's so strange. I'll have to give you two because obviously Mike Walker was the one who who gave us who gave us a chance to play and enjoy himself, and then and then Kevin Keegan. So I say I say Mike Walker and Kevin Keegan. Best goal you scored? Oh, top of my head against Ipswich. Player, I was playing for Newcastle. I scored against Ipswich. They were booing me all game. And I smashed one in from 23 yards in the top corner. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, oh, go against Arsenal there, Rule. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I scored, Last quite, question, I scored a couple of <laughs> Best player you played with? Again, again, there's so many. Not trying to disrespect players. I could go Ginola, I could go Teddy Sherry, I could go Les Ferdinand, Peter Beersley, Andy Cole. You know, there's so many. But I think if I'm looking for... Ian Crook at Norwich. I think if I look for an all-round player who was unselfish, but he could win games for us, just just from just something magical. Peter Beardsley. Fantastic, Raw. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back. It's been on. a pleasure, guys. I'd love to have you on any time, guys. Where we've got an actual topic and bringing things. I think you, the knowledge that you've given and the way you answer so eloquently on the questions, absolute credit to the game and asset for the podcast. No thank you so much, Mr. Raw Fox. Podcast Network.